to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Alex, did your parents finally get out of here? Yeah. Okay. So, particularly as I read and as you hear this text unfolded, Unruh's sadness, another kid moving far away, parents moving far away, Alex, take it, take it into this throne room. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, instructive window into the essence of God's word. So, Father, hold me. Cause me to do justice to the text on this page. Your holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And cause us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. <clears throat> Through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the big picture of verses 1 to 10, two parts. The first four verses are about the high priesthood laid out in the Old Testament. Then verses 5 to 10, compare Jesus' high priesthood to that. And this book of Hebrews is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is specifically referred to as a priest, the high priest. 
And it is right here in the book of Hebrews now where this author begins this very long section. Six chapters around the high priest ministry of Jesus. The tendency of our culture, our Christian culture, is to think at that point when I said that, that seems a little impractical. Six chapters, come on. I'm struggling in my marriage or in raising children or homeschooling and I've got all kinds of personal problems, anxiety disorder, fighting depression. We, we need relevant sermons, helpful principles on how to get along in life. That's the ocean of the culture that we're all swimming in. But I think this is true. It's been my goal, my life, and my philosophy of preaching for 20 years comes from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, and in the context he's referring to the book, He's referring to Moses and Leviticus. As we read the Scripture, we have an unveiled face. We are beholding. means looking at. In amazement. Like my family did this last week when we're standing on the top of Moral Rock looking at all of Sequoia National Park. You get wild, but here it is through words. The book, we believers in Jesus are beholding the glory of the Lord, and by that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what drives me. So if there's six chapters of the high priestly ministry of Jesus, I have no shame in preaching sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon for six chapters unfolding what God has given to us. And it is by beholding Christ in all of His glory. And one of those glories is his high priestly ministry that is transformative and thus that's very practical to our marriages to our singleness to our battle against sexual sin to anxiety to depression because spiritual growth it requires according to the scripture a clearer and clearer vision, an understanding of who God is and who you are, and together, who I am 
a sinner, and who God is, drives us to the high priest, to the cross. For instance, the Apostle Paul, he saw, he beheld the truth that he was the worst of sinners. The chief of sinners. And he also saw in that context the altar where Christ was slaughtered at the cross. The place where he found mercy where he found unending, everlasting, eternal salvation. And so this contemplation of Christ as our high priest for six chapters, I'm saying, whether it will or not with you, don't know, but it is to, for God's people, change everything in our lives. And that will lead to a deeper appreciation of who Jesus actually is. And what it means that He entered the non-physical holy of holies on our behalf. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with His own blood. In that deeper sense then knocks out pride, which is at the root of all of our problems and sin that we cause anyway. It's at the root of our problem with our relationship with God is arrogance and pride in relationship with a husband or a wife, arrogance and pride, or children or people you work with or fellow members of a local church. And that's practical. So, if you're there, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, first tells us of the high priestly ministry on earth in the Old Testament. And two things he makes clear. The high priest was given as a mediator between God and the people. And secondly, no one chooses themselves to be high priest. But it is God who calls, who appoints. Notice the first word in chapter 5, 4, F-O-R. Why is that there? It's there because he had just previously in chapter 4, verse 15, mentioned Jesus as the high priest. Now, starting with chapter 5, 4, he is going to unpack, develop, and explain Jesus' high priestly ministry. Verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So if people are not sinners, then they have no need for a priest. 
priests were appointed by God. That's what verse 4 says. And now in verse 1, on behalf of men in relation to God. Why? In order to make sacrifices for sins. The Jews, they were not allowed to just walk up to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Can't do it. Even the high priest could only go into the most holy place once a year. And he better be careful to do everything the way God directed him to do it, or he would be killed. And what did that do? God was making a point. And those who got the point understood that they became aware of the holiness of God and their own sinfulness. They were aware they needed a go-between. A mediator. And so God gave them a priesthood. And He gave them a high priest to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, sacrifices, it refers to all the different kinds of sacrifices laid out in Leviticus, grain offerings and wine offerings and blood offerings and death. There is no death if there was not sin. Death came through sin. And now a goat or a lamb or a bull is slaughtered, killed, dead constantly as the people had to purchase or raise or buy and then give it to the priest to mediate that death as a reminder of their sin. These offerings, he says, were for sins. But now, by referring not just to priest, but to the high priest, he especially has the Day of Atonement in mind. And this underscored the, the essence of the problem of sin in the presence of God. Without appropriate sacrifices, Sinners cannot. A lot think they can. They make up all kinds of religions or philosophies of life. But they actually cannot approach God or cannot be reconciled to God without a mediator. Now, in the Old Testament, imagine that that's part of your life, and you're actually born again like many of them were. And so you are constantly reminded as the tabernacle in the wilderness, or Zion in David's time, or when Solomon's temple, 
You're, you're reminded of your sin because part of your life is seeing and smelling the bloody mess of death because of your sin. And God, He designed all of that in the Old Testament. And Aaron's priesthood that is passed down to point ahead to the future of one great high priest. Remember how John the Baptist said it? There he is, the Lamb. That doesn't mean a nice, real, cute lamb. It means, in their minds, the one that's going to have its throat split open and blood gush out because of sin. That man is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, who offered Himself as the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. And this means that none of us can be reconciled to God until we first recognize our need as sinners for a Savior. A go-between, a mediator. And it is that awareness which is such grace from God that opens our heart to it. It's that awareness that causes a person to finally cry out, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And everyone who does through the mediator, Jesus receives that mercy. See, the gospel, it has to do with the fundamental alienation that all of us have with our Creator because of our sin and God's provision of His Son as the Lamb of God to be slaughtered. As the high priest, who does not take the blood of any other creature, but takes the blood of His true humanity. And it spills out. Verses 2 and 3. He, now back to the high priest in the Old Testament, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Why? Since or because he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he, the high priest, is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Which before Aaron and his descendants, as high priest, Whoever it was that year, before they offer the sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel, they have to kill a bull 
pour its blood out for his own sins, cleansed, now take the goat on behalf of the people. He's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Verse 4 goes on. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. God called Aaron, Moses' brother, to be the high priest. And that it would pass down through Aaron's lineage. He was the example for all who followed. Do you you remember the story of of Korah in Numbers 16? Korah and a few of his other buddies got really jealous and angry at Moses and at Aaron. Who do you think you are? Big King Moses and super high priest Aaron. You guys, you put yourself in this position. And Moses just kind of didn't freak out. Just, let's do this. We'll come to the tent of meeting tomorrow. Come on and bring all your incenses in. And we just let Yahweh decide. And Yahweh did. And Yahweh killed Korah and his buddies and all their families. Letting the earth open up. Again, the point God was making, Aaron didn't choose this. I chose the high priest had nothing to do with Aaron. And that was a sober lesson. The only way to approach God is through God's appointed mediators. Period. In the Old Testament, that mediator was the high priest. But the fact that all of those high priests also sinners, and also, therefore, would die and it would end for them. That pointed to the inadequacy of that Aaronic, Aaron, Aaronic priesthood and the need for a perfect high priest. Which brings us to the transition of verse 5. Notice the first three words. So also Christ. Now verses 5 to 10 are a unit describing the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And the main point is in verse 9. He... Jesus, the high priest, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus is the source, or literally, He's the cause of eternal salvation. Salvation from judicial guilt and condemnation. And salvation from the power of sin in us. Salvation from God's holy wrath. That's what the book of Hebrews at its core is all about. It's actually what the Bible 
as a whole is all about. A salvation that lasts forever and ever based upon Jesus, the Messiah, the high priest who is the mediator between God and man. That's the main point of these verses. Christ became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There's the main point of our text. Everything else in these verses now, in verses 5 to 10, explain how could that be? How could Christ be the source of eternal salvation? So, in a nutshell, here's the flow of verses 5 to 10. Christ became the source of eternal salvation because of three things. First, because... He is God's Son. Secondly, because He possesses eternity in Himself. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And thirdly, because of His proven perfection in His humanity, through obedience in suffering. That's what he tells us. Why, why is that important? To want to delve into those things I we're going to do in the next few minutes. Because of where I began in 2 Corinthians. Beholding is your only hope. Beholding who Jesus actually is, not the way we construct Him from our own thoughts, but the way He is presented to us in the written Word of God. To know Him better is to have a deeper personal relationship with Him. And thus, when you see Him for He truly is, your confidence, slash that is your faith, should rise and grow, really knowing who He is. That is, what He's like, what He has experienced. That's what makes personal relationships possible. The less you know about a person, the less you can have a significant personal relationship with that person. We who profess to be Christians are always in great need to meet again and again the real Jesus in the Bible. We need to see Him for who He is as the Son of God, as the Eternal One after the order of Melchizedek, and as the Purified One through His suffering. And that's our text. Let's look at the first one. Chapter 
5, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself, literally the word glorify, did not glorify himself or exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed, he was appointed by him who said to him, and he quotes Psalm 2, verse 7, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So in other words, Jesus did not glorify himself with the office of high priest, but God the Father did. And what's unexpected here in our text, in that verse, is that he replaced high priest with the title Son of God. Just like that. See, the first half of the verse says Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. So you would expect the next thing that he would say in that verse is, but God exalted him to be high priest. That's not what he does. Instead, he quotes Psalm 2.7. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The point is that Christ is qualified to be our high priest and to become the source of unending salvation precisely because of the value of who he is. Because he is God, the Son. Christ is begotten of God from all eternity without beginning. No other man other than this one, the Son of God, has within their very essence the power of being, of existence. No one else could possibly ever have that in humanity except God, the Son, who then became high priest and thus makes him the source of eternal salvation. It took God, the Son, to become a human being. No priest in Aaron's line, not even an angel in heaven, could do that. Only one could do that. Only one had the possibility of being the eternal source of salvation, and that is the Son of God. That's his first point. Then he goes to his second in verse 6. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110. Now, 
We're in chapter 5. When he gets to chapter 7, he will talk a little bit more about Melchizedek. But summed up, what's going on here? First, this. Melchizedek, there's a man who in the scripture just came out of the blue and left out of the blue. He's mentioned only twice in the entire Old Testament. The first one was during Abraham's life. Abraham had just won a massive battle against a bunch of other kings and he became filthy rich after that. And then he was met. Actually, let's read it. Genesis 14, beginning in verse 18. Here he comes. He appears very briefly. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth or a tithe of everything he owned. And poof, that's it. He's gone. And not only that, he disappeared. There's no information about him other than he's a king of Salem, which is probably where Jerusalem ended up being, Jerusalem. Nothing about his parents. Nothing about his ethnicity. His origin just appears there in Genesis and disappears until 800 years later when King David, as a prophet, quoted God saying about the anointed one to come, the Messiah, quoted him saying, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's it. There's nothing more in the Bible about Melchizedek until the writer of Hebrews mentions him. I think his point, therefore, is this. Melchizedek symbolizes in the Old Testament a priesthood that is different than Aaron's line of priesthood. It's different in that there's no information. Therefore, it is, there's no origin of Melchizedek. There's no beginning. There's no ending to his life and death or anything. He just appears and is gone. And that's why Psalm 110 and Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, both stress the word forever. You are a priest forever. Unendingly, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, now briefly, just real quickly, in verse 3 
of chapter 7. This is the writer's viewpoint. This is what he says there. Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy. Okay, got it. You know how important genealogy is in the history of the Jews and in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You know, you know the genealogy of the 12 tribes and of Moses and of Aaron's line and of David's line. Hear nothing. So Melchizedek is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. So not only was his death, Jesus' death, infinitely valuable because it is the Son of God Himself in human flesh. And therefore, it's effective because of His infinite worth in giving up His life. But also, Jesus goes on ministering the effects of His bloody sacrificial death for us in heaven Forever and ever and ever because he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has eternity in the order of Melchizedek. So those are the first two reasons he's the source of unending salvation the son of god infinitely valuable priestly ministry after the order of melchizedek never ends source of never ending salvation and then there is the third thing he mentions that makes jesus suitable to be high priest and become the source of eternal salvation, and that's verses 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. Because there's so much, I think, for anyone who cares to read the Bible carefully, in those verses. I'm going to put them off till next week. Okay? So, for this morning then, let what we have already seen be our takeaway, our meditation. Christ has become the reason, the ground, the cause, the source of our eternal salvation Precisely because He who was our substitutionary sacrifice had 
infinite value in his person as God, the Son. And because he has the eternity of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Here's the question to every one of us. This is a question we'll be asking for all of us who are baptized when we take the bread and the cup in a few minutes. Is this the center of your life? Those two truths. This is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to embrace Christ. Think about it. Do you want Christ? Is He a treasure that's worth more than someone handing you $10 billion? Is He worth more than in Moses' time all the treasures of Egypt? Think about it. If you were offered a treasure, I mean, you know, for some of us, you know, 20 million would do. You're offered an infinite treasure of infinite worth and value. That ain't so good. If you only have it till you die, what's the difference? Naked you come into the world, naked you leave. But if you were offered the infinite treasure of God in humanity as your high priest, along with an infinite duration, Guaranteed, it would never end of enjoying that treasure. Infinite value, infinite duration is the only thing logically that will bring true satisfaction. That's why I'm a Christian. I couldn't have preached this way when I was 19, but well, I'm preaching exactly why I became a Christian. That's what happened to me. This is the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has become the source of eternal salvation because he is of infinite value and a treasure, never ending like Melchizedek. That's the gospel. Now hold, hold that thought and notice the main point of the whole text once again in verse 9. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Christ is the source 
He's the only source for eternal salvation. But not for everyone. He became the source of eternal salvation to who? Or whom? To all who obey Him. That, here's my interpretation. That is saying exactly how I began the sermon with 2 Corinthians. Are you beholding the glory of God in the Scripture? If you are, He's your treasure. That's what faith is. That's why you obey. In other words, those who are being saved by Christ the High Priest are those who have eyes to see. To see Jesus Christ as the infinite treasure. That treasure speaks to you. And it says, get me. Receive me. You remember how Jesus told that short little parable about the kingdom of God, about the gospel, about himself. A man was walking. He stumbled some field and he dug it up. And it was a treasure chest full of gold, diamonds, jewels. And it spoke to him. He obeyed the treasure. The treasure said to him, bury me so no one finds it. Then go home and sell everything you own and buy the field. And then I'm yours. Obey me, the treasure, the valuable one. You are my son today, I've begotten you. You, he says to us, I offer you freedom from an eternity of condemnation and an eternity ongoing joy in me and in my Father and the Spirit forever. Get me. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus said, if, if you love me, if you love the treasure, if you actually understand the value of the treasure, you will do what I say. Those who are obeying Christ never means perfectly. But it means there's this significant new track that you got on 
Those who are obeying Christ have the eternal salvation that he obtained for us. Now, look, one thing that's been crystal clear throughout the book of Hebrews so far through these number of months is that in Hebrews, that the will of Christ that is to be obeyed is always first and foremost the command to trust what you see in the Scripture. To trust Him. In other words, the first and the vital act of true obedience is to believe in the promises of God, right? What have we seen? We've seen, and to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? But to those who were, hear His words, disobedient. So you don't want to be that. You want eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. So don't be like Israel under Moses. It was to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. They're inseparable. And that's why he says again and again, hold firm, hold fast your hope in this life to the end. Three times so far, he said, do not harden your hearts. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. He said, let us then with confidence draw near, close in relationship to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let me let the author please explain to me your words. He's become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Well, he gives a whole litany of examples to illustrate it in chapter 11. Just two, and we'll close. One, verse 8, Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, by faith, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Wait, wait, wait. By faith. This is a question for all of us Christians right now in the West. The, the choices are coming more and more stark. Will you spit 
into God's face concerning sexual sin. Concerning homosexuality. Concerning the attack on God in there's no such thing as male and female. You may be choosing to be mistreated. Is Christ valuable enough to you to choose it? By faith, when Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin and acceptance in the culture. But he didn't do it for nothing. Here, here's the kicker. But what did he do? He considered the reproach, the hatred of the culture and of the world of your Lord Jesus Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ to embrace Him who is so demeaned everywhere. He considered Him to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking to the reward. Abraham's source of eternal salvation was Christ who was to come. Because Christ purchased Abraham and purchased Moses. And they obeyed. That is obedience of out of their heart of faith. Which contemplates, considers the truth and weighs it against the treasures of Egypt and the pressures of a culture. That's what the author means by those who obey him. Daily acts of practical obedience are the evidence of your treasure is Christ, of where your faith is. So let us go on and hate unbelief. And as we go to the table, Christ entered as high priest on behalf of his people and didn't take a bull or a goat, or a lamb, but laid down his own life, and he signifies it to us at the Last Supper. This bread represents biological stuff. Me, in death, for you. The blood of the cup represents my life, my high priestly ministry, shedding my own blood for you. And he was raised, and he has ascended, and he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he is interceding for every one of those who are his right now. And as we come together over that cup and blood, that's what we are doing. Let's pray. Father,
thank you. May the table be sweet. May our repentance be true. May our faith be lively to the glory of your Son, our great High Priest, Jesus Christ. Amen.